there. Welcome to our podcast, Paradoxify. I am Ann McFarland, author, screenwriter, and mother of five. I'm here with my co-host and husband, Dr. Tim McFarland. Together, we like to talk about the unexpected. That's right. And specifically, we want to talk with our guest about unexpected stories in STEM and faith. STEM, of course, being an acronym for the words science, technology, engineering, and math. And that's our goal, to deliver the unexpected. Also, in every episode, we will start with a riddle or question, and listeners can try to solve it. We will give them the answer by the end of the episode. Great. Let's get started. Today, we're doing the third of our three-part series on viruses. In our first episode, we talked about virus history and habits. The second was about virus combat, tips to stay well physically. And today, we're going to have mental health tips to how to keep our mental health well. My husband, Dr. Tim McFarland, I will be questioning our guest, Rebecca Jones, about this topic. Rebecca, can you tell a little bit about yourself and your background in mental health? Sure. I'm Rebecca Jones. I am getting my Master's of Arts in Christian Counseling, and my trajectory is towards a licensed professional counselor in Texas. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that I do not know you personally who are listening, so it's really valuable for you to take this information and seek out solutions for your mental health as well as professional who can speak with you specifically about your needs. Okay, well, thanks. Um, we do something kind of silly at the beginning, Rebecca. We have a question or a riddle that we ask, then our guests can listen for it later. And so Tim's going to give us our burning question. Well, this is a three-part series in COVID, so I'm still curious about why there's such a run on toilet paper. Okay, toilet paper, third answer. I'll give you that answer at the end. Now let's get going on our mental health tips. Uh, Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about mental health and COVID-19? So there are a lot of things going on with COVID-19. There are some specific basic things like fear of getting the disease or if we have the disease, possibility of death and all of those things that go along with just the disease. But now that we're being isolated through the pandemic in some ways that we're trying to help with that, there are stressors that come along with being isolated as a single individual, being isolated with our spouse, being isolated with our children, and then also being isolated as someone who's mental health issue prior to this, and then being isolated with people who have specific needs like children with special needs or other family members. Then there's also the whole financial stress. There's financial crisis for a lot of people right now through loss of business, through other things like that financially. Some people have already lost family members because of COVID-19. There's also major stress in the medical health care personnel area and that they're having their own kind of stress seeing it COVID-19's effects firsthand. And then there's a lot of changes, major changes to society, how it functions, how we go from places and when we go places. So that normalcy has changed. So those are some of the many factors that are contributing to mental health stressors right now. It seems like we're in a global or national or state crisis, uh, but what would you describe as a crisis from a mental health perspective? Uh, that's a good question. So it's a little bit different for a mental health crisis versus uh, the world and global crisis that we're in. Um, some people are living through COVID and they're doing pretty well and it's not as a much emotional turmoil for them, whereas others are now experiencing a mental health crisis. And so crisis is technically defined as a person's perception or experience of an event or situation as being intolerable and going beyond their resources and coping abilities. There are three components of a crisis. 
an event, the person's perception, and the failure of a person's typical coping methods. And that's coming directly from the Fundamentals of Crisis Counseling by Jerry Miller. That definition has three different components. And the one that's important to understand is everyone's going through the event, but the person's perception of the event being in a crisis or not being in a crisis. And then, of course, their failure of the typical coping methods. So it's not the same crisis emotionally for everyone. No, it's not the same for everyone. Um, and so some people are going to be experiencing that crisis because of the way they're perceiving what's going on and because of their ability to cope with it. And some will not. How can we tell or how can others tell if I'm personally in a mental health crisis or state? Um, so a mental health crisis for you would be if you are getting to a place where you are grasping for air, essentially. And so that's like your normal way of working through things is not working. And you're also now struggling to find a way of living and coping with what's going on. Some people, they realize that what they've been using before isn't working. And they've tried different things and they're calmly or moderately calmly going through different options, trying to solve their emotional problems. Whereas others, things aren't working the way they normally do. And they're really trying to grasp and not getting a hold of any sort of help out of things that they can do on their own. And that's when you're going to want to involve a professional to help you come up with some other coping methods and work through that crisis. We all are individuals and some things bother some people more than others. There are definitely ways that we can mentally be aware and healthy, um, but it's important to also note that some uh, mental health issues aren't about the way you prepare for them. They're about who you are and how you work with things. So it's similar to that of people preferring different foods. Some people are going to be able to cope with it well and not be going through a mental health crisis and then some will not it's just individual basis also some people are under a, a lot more stress than others so some people have lost their job or a loved one whereas others may not some people don't have a home and some people are having to be isolated in a home that's abusive or dangerous so those are some of the many factors that separate us as individuals going through this and the use of the word crisis is pretty drastic I think a majority of people are experiencing poor mental health or having some mental health struggles. So there's a difference when we go through a personal crisis like cancer or death of a loved one versus when we use that word uh, regarding crisis in a global or national sense. Yes, there are some similarities and some differences. Uh, when we're experiencing something on a global scale like this, we can either see it as we are not alone, and that's a good thing to feel connected to others, or we can see others suffering and being anxious and pick up on that. I went to a recent suicide talk and it discussed how mental health um, events such as self-harm and suicide and other things are contagious. And we should be very careful not to get caught up in what we watch and start reading online about those things. What are some reactions that people experience during crisis? I know one of the things I read was nurses talking to each other on a healthcare Facebook group, asking each other, you know, does anyone else just burst into random tears when they get home? And I've actually had that happen myself just for no reason, just all of a sudden, just just intense grief and, and getting tearful. So what are some other types of reactions? Like I said, since we're all so different, our reactions are going to be different to the crisis. We could be irritable. Like you said, we could burst out crying. We could be lashing out at others. We could express reckless behaviors, binge watch, eat junk food. We could drink alcohol, smoke, and pull away from society. Or we could ignore restrictions and run into society, go to the grocery store every day, that kind of thing. So there's a wide range of things that people will be doing as a reaction to COVID. So as a mental health professional, um, what are some of your biggest concerns in this pandemic crisis? 
Um, well, whenever we experience some strong emotions or we're having a, a health crisis, we tend to try and get away from those emotions. Negative coping mechanisms, including drinking alcohol, like I mentioned, drugs and avoidance is some things that people are going to try. Um, and that's a really slippery slope whenever you start drinking alcohol or incorporating drugs into your life or doing different things to avoid your emotion. Um, avoidance can lead to lots of different things like rage or domestic violence. Uh, if you are in a domestic violence situation, I will say, do not hesitate to contact local authorities. It is so important that the attacker as well as the victim both get help. Um, it does not help someone who is abusing others to stay in that situation, stay in that avoidance place and not be able to face their emotions. You know, we've used the words emotions and are emotions, how do you define them and are they always negative? So emotions are feelings like sadness, anxiety, anger, and happiness. We often are experiencing an emotion on the happy end of the spectrum or the sad, anxious end of the spectrum. Although this is not common practice, I consider anxiety, sadness, and anger to be emotions that take away from you or are negative, kind of mathematically negative emotions. Anxiety takes away your sense of peace and perspective. Sadness takes away your desire to thrive and possibilities. Anger takes away your ability to control, especially how you treat others. And each of the negative emotions take other things away from you specifically as well. Rebecca, why do you want to make a job of helping people with their mental health and emotional balance? Well, there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, when we are in a mentally unhealthy state, we can easily hurt ourselves and others. And we can build negative destructive habits and mental health issues can get in the way of our day-to-day -day functioning, and they can also escalate really quickly. And when you're in a state like that, it can be very difficult to come out of that on your own. And so I'm very eager to be an individual that can help people get out of those crisis situations and heal in a healthy way. Our mind, emotions, and thoughts and spirits are, I'd say, two-thirds of who we are. And the rest of us is physical body. And I find it so valuable to work with people and help them understand themselves better. Do you have any tips or how I can know my emotional states and how I can work with my negative emotions to make sure they're not overpowering me? If you're having racing thoughts, irritability, shortness of breath, increased heart rate, or you're slamming things, or you have tense muscles, or you're sore from tensing your muscles, or even yawning a lot, you may be experiencing an emotion like anxiety or stress or anger. You could also be experiencing things like lack of sleep or sleeping too much. You might be having thoughts of hopelessness, lack of desire to accomplish anything or talk to anyone. You might have no drive for the new day or the next day. In that case, you may be experiencing sadness or even depression. And keep in mind, you know yourself in some ways, and any variation of the usual you means that something's going on, and you want to pay attention to that. That's a, a sign, like a stop sign or a red light. And you want to be active in seeing those signs in your body and your emotions. I like to look at problems and then fix it. I want to do something. So what's some things that we can do to help our mental health? Well, first of all, I would suggest to everyone, whether you're in a crisis or not, whether you're coping well or not, you want to find a mental health professional or an avenue for getting mental health and get that contact on your fridge. You want to do a little bit of research. You want to see what your insurance would cover, what can you afford, do you need a free service? Do you, can you afford a little bit? Would you rather do things like video chat, call, or text? And you want to have that contact there for you just in case. Usually when we're in the middle of a crisis, it can be very difficult to reach out. And so we want to have that contact on the fridge, even when we don't need it yet, to be able to reach for when we do. Um, and then, of course, if you are experiencing an emergency, always call 911. 
So why would it be important? Obviously, if you have an emergency, you can dial 911, but why would it be important to have a contact on what you would do if you were going to meet a crisis? So sometimes things can escalate quickly, like I mentioned. People attempted suicide within one hour of first thinking about it. And it's important to understand, like you just said, if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 911. That's an emergency. But also things like anger and domestic violence is on the rise right now with all the stress going on. It is valuable for you to have a mental health professional on top of usual support, like talking to your mom or your friends, to help you walk through the known method for helping you deal with strong emotions. This is the same as if you're going to go to a doctor or have a doctor available to you to call about symptoms. You want to have the same kind of thing on the mental health side as well. I really like how you're putting all this. It's kind of being more proactive than reactive. I know there's other things, though. What are some things that you would list to help us be ready uh, and improve our mental health? Well, recently I, I listened to a talk by Dr. Colt, um, who's a German psychologist and has a lot of wonderful information, and also my supervisor, Sharni Beck. And so I'm going to list a few things that they mentioned. So you'll definitely, in this time, you're going to want to make a schedule. Even if you're somebody who doesn't normally make a schedule, you want to go ahead and make one. You're going to want to include things like exercise. You want to include things like social events. And those are going to be things that happen inside your house with your family, but also you want to do things virtually with others. Things like that could be maybe a game night you want to do with your family. That could happen every week. You want to pick an event that's in the future that only happens once, like maybe a family Olympics or soccer ball match in the backyard, or some things with friends through video chat, like having cocktails with your friends or a movie night with your friends through the video chat. You want to also schedule time for yourself to be on social media. And the reason you want to do that is because you want to prevent binge watching and mind numbing experiences, because those things are avoidance behaviors. Remember, if you're avoiding your emotion, you're not actually dealing with it. Schedule some time in the sun because going outside and having the sun on you is really valuable. You want to also include at least one meal a day together without technology and talk with those that live in the house with you about how you're feeling and discuss different things that are going on in your day. You want to include household members in this schedule making process. If you have a teenager or spouse, you want to make the schedule together and plan some events together and some events separately. You're also going to want to be self-aware. Like we talked about before, if you're irritable or sluggish or you're having outbursts, sleeping too much or sleeping too little, bracing thoughts. Those are all signs that you need to talk about or at least think about and process your feelings. You'll also want to start trying to do things like deep breathing to especially help with anxiety and stress. There's a lot of different resources out there that you can use to help find some deep breathing exercises. Don't be afraid to talk about your fears, thoughts, and emotions. Your emotions, whether you talk about them or not, will find a way to express themselves. Most strong emotions lead to isolation in our minds and, and practically. When someone does talk to you about their feelings, listen and care for them. So can you elaborate on how deep breathing can be helpful? So some emotions, such as anxiety, stress, and anger, they trigger our sympathetic nervous system. That's essentially our flight or fight response. Our bodies do that because anxiety and stress are supposed to mean that we are in imminent danger, like being chased by a tiger, for example. The sympathetic nervous system turns off parts of our body that we do not necessarily need to run from the tiger. It increases our heart rate to prepare us to fight or flee. It also turns off our reasoning skills because thinking about philosophies of the world is not important when we are being chased by a tiger. This means that when we are anxious, stressed, or angry, our breathing becomes short and fast and begin to lose our reasoning skills. 
That's why our thoughts race. Also, that's why when you're having an argument with someone, usually they stop making sense or you stop making sense and repeating yourself. Now, when we can't reverse that by merely thinking about our emotions and reasoning ourselves down, then we want to work the system from the outside in. So we start by deep breathing. Your body will begin to follow your actions and eventually calm your emotions and mind down. Your reasoning skills will turn back on and you can think about the situation again. Singing is also effective in the same way. You take deep breaths, you hold out long notes. So I like to suggest to some people who enjoy singing to use singing as deep breathing also. Whenever you sing, you want to be sure to sing a positive song, something that's happy, and also because you're anxious and stressed and that's why you're singing, you want to sing a song that's a little slower. You don't want to sing a really fast upbeat song because it'll keep your heart rate too fast and you'll be mind will be going too quickly. I don't normally suggest singing for people who struggle with anger because most people don't want to sing a happy, positive song when they're angry. But people who are getting frustrated or starting to become angry need to go to their quiet place in the house or outside. Remove yourself from what is in- encouraging your anger and trigger your parasympathetic nervous system. Okay, that's interesting. Hey, I teach junior high students once a week, and I have a real heart for teenagers. So lots of emotions with teenagers. Do you have any suggestions for how parents of teenagers could deal with COVID and their mental health? So every member in the house should have a space where they can go, and everyone else knows that that space is where they go to be alone, to not be interrupted. So let's say someone, Jackie, goes to his room, and I don't go and bother him there. That's where he goes to kind of be alone and have that alone time. You want to set up some guidelines ahead of time. Designate a certain amount of time, probably. You don't want your teenager to be in their room for eight hours a day because it's not healthy for them to stay there that long. So you want to try and set up guidelines ahead of time, something like two hours, where you won't go and interrupt them, let them have their space, and then you're going to come and check on them. And they should know that that's going to happen. And then if you have a small space, you'll want to try and just get at least an area of the house or area of the apartment that belongs to each person. So maybe this chair is dad's chair. And when he's sitting in this chair, we're not going to bother him. We're going to give him some space and let him have a quiet time. You also want to talk openly about any questions or fears that your teenager may have and also discuss some of your own emotions about what's going on right now. It's important because whether you're talking to them or not, they're probably looking up the questions that they have, finding answers on the internet, talking with friends about their fears. So it's important for you to enter that conversation and be proactive about that. Again, scheduling is really important, giving them important times where they can socialize with their friends on the schedule, such as having a Netflix party, watching a movie together, FaceTiming, or maybe even going on a virtual walk together. Those are all things that they can do to engage with their friends right now. Yes, and you know, some families, because the people that usually are the adults and working don't have jobs, they're at home. There's really no schedule. It's almost odd to think, what is today? What day of the week is it? Because everything's not on schedule. Yeah, definitely. Having those schedules as a family really brings some normalcy back in. And you want to be sure in these social events with your kids that they're not binge gaming all night long with their friends because sleep is really important. So that's why you want to help them schedule events that are healthy and and good times of the day in moderation. Just thinking, uh, teenagers are one set of kids, and there's the grade school or other children. How about those parents that have those age children? Definitely. Parents of children who are more dependent will obviously need to be more involved in the schedule of their kiddos. Remember, 
as parents that free play is a super valuable thing for children and a great way for them to learn. In schools, they can't always do free play because it's very difficult to manage a group of children doing free play. So they have designated times for that. Whereas at home, you can give your children a lot more free play time and they're still going to be learning a lot of things because there's fewer of them. Even if you have a family of six, it's less than a classroom of 20. So remember that free play is valuable. You don't always have to have a bunch of worksheets, although if that's useful for you and your family, use it. Um, but if that's stressful, you don't have to use it. You can use a lot of different things and just giving them that time to play on their own and discover a lot of different things and be available to them and engage with them as playing and help them just kind of explore their world. You also want to just pick your battles and be flexible. During this COVID-19 situation, I have children and my children have gone a little bit out of bounds sometimes. And I've decided that I've drawn my line in certain areas of the house and certain areas they can go to and they have free reign. And my rules are I don't want you to hurt anyone or break anything. And there are other rules too, but those are the major things. And so I've trying to pick my battle. So I'm not, you know, pulling my hair out over the fact that they spilled their Play-Doh on the floor. Remember that your children, they can feel the effects of what's going on. They have their own strong emotions as well. And they can understand that you're having strong emotions and that's going to reflect in their behavior. So you want to be very gracious with them. You understand what's going on as an adult. You understand that there's a virus out there. It's affecting the world and we to change what we do. But a lot of times they do not understand the whole picture. So if you're going through the same thing that you are right now, but didn't understand why, you could tell that that would be really frustrating and overwhelming. So remember to be extra gracious with your children in this time. So is there any other general advice you'd give for parents and families? Definitely, I think a lot of parents can get really frustrated right now. Like we mentioned before with frustration and anger, take a step back. Remove yourself from the situation as long as your children are safe and give yourself a minute to calm down and do that as often as you need to. Just because you've done it once doesn't mean you won't do it again in the same day. It's okay. It's always better to take a step back than to lash out at your children. Um, you'll also want to be aware of sleep and the needs of yourself and your children. Sometimes I can tell when my husband is really having a hard day and I say, go take a nap. You didn't get enough sleep last night. I remember kind of our schedule. Take a quick nap and I'll watch the kids or vice versa. So do what you can to get valuable sleep and then experiment. When something is not working for your family, it's okay to try something else. Sometimes I feel like we, we made a plan, we're going to stick to this plan. But if your plan is not working, you're going to want to try something else. So give yourself flexibility for you and take a breath, see what else is out there, and try something different. So what about parents, though, with special needs children uh, or children that may have like mental health issues already? You are going to always want to involve a professional in those cases. You are not alone, and professionals out there, we are here to help you. And if you do not have one already, you're going to want to find one who is specific to your needs and your kids' needs. And then you want to go ahead and start talking to them. Don't wait for a crisis. You want to preemptively talk to them. Get the information that you need to help your child right now and you. You're also going to want to find support group. Again, you're not alone. Not only are there mental health professionals out there ready to help you, there are also a lot of other people in this situation like you. And you can find those groups anywhere and talk to them, see what they're doing, and figure out what works for your family and start that experimenting process. And then change and uncertainty is hard on anybody right now, but especially those who are struggling in these areas. So the schedule is extremely important and valuable for you and your family. You want to try and make a lot of things as certain as possible. 
and predictable as possible. Even as simple and as far down as to have the same food for breakfast and lunch, that might be valuable for you and your family. So try and be as predictable as possible and that gives your children a sense of security. Do you have any suggestions for couples? Couples who have kids, you want to work together. Now is your time to be friends, not enemies. So again, on that schedule, you work on it as a family and be contributing to each other. Because if the husband has decided he's going to clock out or the wife, she's going to clock out, they're putting a lot of stress on the other person. You want to work together on getting your job done, especially if you both still have jobs and children and all that. So remember, you're, you are together. This is your home together and to work together. If you have kids or not, you want to schedule time together with your friends. You want to schedule time together without friends. And then you want to schedule time apart with friends and time apart alone. So if that makes sense, it's kind of four different scenarios. Time together with your friends, you and your husband, video chatting with your friends online, maybe a couple's date after the kids go to bed, you guys watch a movie through Netflix party or something. You can do time together without friends. So you and your husband get to get up in the morning, kind of start your day early before the kids wake up or when they're taking a nap. You don't want to lose sight of meeting together. Date night, you want to still have that, but within good social guidelines. And then, of course, time apart with your friends. Ladies, call your girlfriends up or say you're going to do a spa night, something like that. And then guys, do the same. Call your guy friends up. Initiate that conversation. Chat with them. Do some virtual golfing, whatever you want to do. And then you want to have time by yourself. That's going to give you time to think and process, maybe journal. That time apart can help you be stronger when you're together. You also want to support each other and be aware of changes that might be happening in each other. And then physical touch without sexual intentions is really important also. You also want to have normal hugs without an expectation to lead to anything, hand-holding, um, or just being sitting next to each other, cuddling while you watch a movie without a sexual intention. Yeah, so we're just social distancing. We're not touching hardly anyone, so at least we can touch our family members. What about single people? Is there anything that they would need during these days that's different? There's, of course, what I mentioned before, the schedule and limiting mind-numbing experiences. Those are important. The different things on the schedule are important. You want to be sure, especially to schedule those call and FaceTime. You need video chatting with family and friends. You're not seeing any humans. You, on a regular basis, see hundreds of humans, usually. And so now you're seeing that and you have to see people's faces, their expressions, and talk to them. And don't be afraid to use that time to express your feelings. You need that. Um, you want to schedule those future events, something to look forward to, and make personal goals for deadlines. You know, you don't want to push yourself so much. Like, I'm going to write a book in one week. That's not what I mean. I mean, make a future goal. You want to have, you know, such and such done by this time. Maybe you want to do some home projects. You might want to learn how to paint and have a painting that you send to your mom for Mother's Day or something like that. Some sort of simple uh, deadline in the future for yourself. Single people who live alone and have no friends or family, they need to find groups of people that have similar interests to them and FaceTime or Zoom chat with them outside of just the social media. So if you find a group on social media that loves gardening, that's wonderful. It's great to talk to them on there, but you also still want to do the FaceTime, see their face. There's garden group, there's music group, there's faith group. Um, but please exercise safety when you're doing this. You want to never tell a stranger your address or other private information about yourself and use a fake background whenever possible. You also want to talk out loud. It's a valuable thing for everyone to try, but especially for those who are single people. Um, parents, probably you talk a lot about a lot of things like... <laughs> 
oh, don't do this or don't eat that or whatever. But you want to be sure, even as a parent, that at some point in the day, you usually talk to an adult. Now you're not getting even that conversation with an adult a lot of times. So be sure to talk, even if it is just out loud in the shower, as if you're talking to an adult. We normally would be talking all day at work, the grocery store, doing lots of different things, lots of talking. And so the sound of our own voice in our head, the vibrations and everything that goes along with that, that helps establish normalcy again. So as a single individual, that's really valuable. You could go through a whole without talking out loud depending on what your job is and so it's valuable to take time talk out loud even read a book out loud if you don't know what to say like I said before sing a song out loud that vibration that sound in your head is really important these are really great tips and I'm, I'm so glad you're sharing these I want to hone in on that word normalcy we're headed into a new normal not where we've been and that kind of leaves me sad there's been so many things that have changed in, in a rapid time frame I was putting a newspaper away and I realized it said February 12th and in the newspaper headlines there was nothing about COVID uh, it was all about the normal things we read in the newspaper and so in my mind there's there's a lot of things to grieve um, and the grief process and as a nurse I, that was one of the first things they taught us early in our nursing school about the grief process am I picking up on something is that really true is that what's going on The stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. You know, this is kind of like those who may have conspiracies about COVID-19 not even being real. They might be in the denial stage. Or people who are experiencing a lot of anger, well, they might be in the anger stage towards the government or towards the people in their home. Then there might be those out there who are selling their toilet paper on eBay for obscene amounts of money. They may be in the bargaining stage. Who knows? But I think a little right now just hitch stage. And I say that because we've reached a week four or five. And we're seeing that this is going to take a little bit longer than we expected. With this grief, there are health professionals that are in shock uh, over the workplace that they're they're in. They're losing a lot of patients to COVID, having frustration and fear um, where COVID is rampant. Is there anything specific we can do to help health professionals? Yes. You want to be kind to them if you aren't one. Being kind is a good motive for everyone. If you are a health professional, very difficult to be dealing with death and all of the struggles that are going on on a regular basis. So I really appreciate you going into work every day and working hard. I would say to you, definitely get a mental health professional and join groups. It is vital that you have time to process your day and things to look forward to. Cry if you need to. Crying gives you a release of chemicals and reach out regular. Communicate with people about how you're feeling, especially a professional. Well, that's some really great stuff and tips to boost our mental health. We want to wrap things up, but first it's Anne's turn to answer my question, the burning question about toilet paper. Okay, so the last thing I came across, this one's uh, connected to game theory, and game theory is the science of strategy. It's something that attempts to determine by mathematics and logic the actions that players should take to ensure the best outcome. Another way you could say it is that game theory analyzes situations involving conflict of interest, like in business or military strategy, and then the analysis is put out in terms of gains and losses among the opposing players. So how does that relate? Kind of crazy, doesn't it? Well, think about it. Uh, someone goes out and buys toilet paper. If everyone just bought what they needed at the time, then no shortage would have happened. But since other people went out and panic bought toilet paper, then we, or those of us that didn't, felt the need to follow suit to optimize our strategy for the house to be prepared. So it's kind of a domino effect. People bought more toilet paper than they needed, and so we heard about it, and we decided we had to go out and get it. That's just kind of the idea of game theory related to the toilet paper shortage, and uh, we're going to bring a fresh riddle and questions in our next episode. But I do have a different line of questioning for you, Rebecca, and these are questions that we ask 
every one of our guests um, and we let you know about them ahead of time. You know our title for our podcast is Paradoxify and our goal for the podcast is to discuss uh, and talk about things that are unexpected, unexpected events in STEM, just like this COVID has been so unexpected for all of us. And in a parallel vein, faith itself is unexpected thing. We have faith in God. He's very real to us, but we can't see him and people can't see our faith like visible thing. Uh, Our actions, of course, reflect our faith. So I want to ask you, Rebecca, are you a person of faith? Yes. I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I believe that God is a triune God, meaning He is God the Father, God the Son, or Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. All God, and that is important to my faith. Christ is God who came down from heaven to be a man and died and rose again alive. Jesus had to die because God is perfect, and because we are imperfect, we cannot commune with God in that state. So Jesus died to cleanse us of our imperfection so we can now commune with God. Jesus Christ now is in heaven with God the Father, and we have Holy Spirit with us when we decide to become Christians. He helps us walk in faith and is our counselor, which is another reason I wanted to be a counselor as well. So what do you find satisfying about your faith? There is a lot of things very satisfying about my faith. God is so good and caring. He is powerful being and chooses us to be with Him. He is my purpose and strength. I really enjoy how personal God is and how He wants to be with each person. Is there anything you find unsatisfying about your faith? Well, this may sound kind of funny, but I like to be liked by people. And a lot of times Christians are not necessarily liked. And in fact, Scripture kind of tells us that that's going to be the case. Sometimes people assume we are bad at things or closed-minded about stuff because we are Christians. And I find that that not to be a very nice or fun part of being a Christian. Is there an early memory that you want to share with us of practicing your faith? My earliest memory of my faith is becoming a Christian. I was six, and my brothers had made me pretty mad that day. And for some reason, uh, I decided to squirt their toothpaste in the trash can. At that time, uh, brushing my teeth was the thing I loved most. And so wasting all that toothpaste was the most horrible tragedy for me to think, oh, they lost all their toothpaste. What a tragedy. So no one ever noticed that I had done that. And then that Sunday, our pastor preached about God and Jesus and heaven and hell. And I immediately knew that I was a sinner from what I had done to my brothers. And I later accepted Christ as my Savior that day. I used to sing and make up songs to God on the swings. And I know that I had a relationship with him even at that young age. I loved him very deeply. God is my best friend. That's a really fun story. And, and and as a child, you understood right from wrong, you know, in, even in that instance. Do you have a favorite, like, quote or a message or something that you would like to share with us? And- sure. So I have lots of favorite scriptures, lots of favorite quotes. Um, but I chose a very interesting quote today, and I'm going to tell you why afterwards. I chose 1 Kings 19, 4 through 8 about Elijah. He had just gone through a lot of different things in his life, and we're seeing him in a very tense moment. Uh, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again to sleep. Angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So I chose this because it is one of the many examples in Scripture where God not only satisfies our physical needs, but he provided for the mental needs of Elijah in this moment. Elijah was suicidal. He wanted to die. And the Lord came in and showed him in different ways and took care of him. 
And there's no question that there's a lot of spiritual things going on. For he traveled 40 days and 40 nights after that. But in this moment, the Lord is providing his needs. And the Lord does that all throughout Scripture. So I would challenge you, take the time to read through Scripture about the struggles you might be having and get help when you need it. Well, thank you very Gosh. much, Rebecca. That's thank great you. verses, great thoughts, and a great show. All right, that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Check out our website at paradoxify.com. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-I-F-I.com. And you can also now find us on our Apple Podcasts and most podcast platforms. And join us next time as we talk about STEM subjects and bring you unexpected stories. <laughs> <laughs>